This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Mark Stiles, your host. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston Chapter of Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. Folks, welcome back to Leadership in Action, your Boston chapter of EO's podcast. I am Mark Stiles, your host, and today's guest, he helps entrepreneurs implement business operation systems to increase their revenue, profitability, and the saleable value of their business. Mm. He is an avid fundraiser for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the Special Olympics, and Dana-Farber Institute. He's been an EO member for 17 years. He's an SAP, so listen up, folks. He's founder and president of CE Painting, founder and president of Collegiate Entrepreneurs, Inc., and founder and president of Cruz & Company. You know him. Please welcome Eric Cruz. That was amazing. That you was like impressive. that? I don't even know what that was about, but that was nice. <laughs> well, let's get right to it. Question number one, what is the most positive lesson that you've learned while running a business? There are a couple. I will tell you, and probably like everybody else that comes on this thing, and I've heard a couple of them, it was trial by fire. Um, and I uh, learned the lessons the hard way. Maybe that's just me. You got to make those difficult people decisions, which are the hardest. And the degree to which you can make the difficult people decisions is the degree that you lose the time in your business. So if it takes you a year to make a decision that you think you need to make, that's my, it's like a game. That's minus one. You just lost that year because you can't get around those decisions. And I've made people decisions. I've had people decisions that I've had that I've kept around. I shouldn't have in key roles for three or four years. And in hindsight, I can not even look at those, those times back. So now when I see people decisions, I think I need to make, we lean in pretty heavily and we say, what's the timeline on this? And then we move on. So making key people decisions is a big one. Another one is trust. As I did a webinar on today. Some of my biggest issues have been around not having open and honest conversation. So I learned that that can crush a business. And then the last biggest one, honestly, is one of the hardest to learn, not as reactionary, but just from a, from a learning standpoint. And that is, I spent a lot of my business career trying to run a, well, a good business, and I still try and help companies run good businesses. But the reality is that if you're trying to scale, and I mean, take your business from three or 4 million, 5 million, whatever it is, to let's say 20, 30 million or beyond, you're going to need to do a lot more than run a good business. You're going to need to have a scaling proposition that the market accepts and loves. And that becomes the biggest boundary. And you have other questions. I know you're going to ask me around what keeps me up at night and all that kind of stuff. But that that's an issue that I've learned. And I've learned to ask myself, are we having operational issues right now because we're not well run? Or... <laughs> Am I in a situation because the market doesn't love me as much as I wish they did? And then the question is, why is that? But the companies you see that scale really strong, like the ones that you love, it's not generally because they're that well run. It's because they figured out a service or an offering that you happen to love buying. And that's what a lot of EOers forget, actually. They try to run this great company. And I look at it, I'm like, you are running an amazing company, but it's probably not going to grow that much because you have 25 people that offer a better service than you do. And that's a difficult lesson to learn. It's been difficult for me and it, it's challenging. So, so tell us more about that. So you, so the EOers, they they love running their business. They think they're doing wonderful, but yet is it is it a product market fit thing or is it simply that they're not as good as they think they are? 
Um, I'd say more the the former than the latter. I think uh, EOers, of which I'm one of, are very thirst for learning, always getting better at their business. Um, and I think they are getting better at the rate they think they are, honestly, run their business. I mean, EOers, including me, we have our hearts in the game to get to run a better business. The question I have learned to ask myself is, should I be running a better, should I be running this business better? Like, this is the question. So uh, it's all about scale. So if I, I work with a client or I'm working on my own business, I'm asking myself, if we're a $5 million business, we're trying to be a $20 million business. Do I think, is there enough market that wants us to, or is it going to take forever to like, is it a slog? Is it going to be 10% of your growth, 15% of your growth, or is the market going to love us because we're offering a product that's good at 20% or 30%? And for the most part, the companies that take off uh, are the ones that have a the best product market fit or the best service market fit, or they figured out something that differentiates them in their service, or they're able to do it at such a degree of love that the market is caught on and they're like, that service is so amazing. That's why we like it. But that's why a lot of companies don't grow. If you look at the companies that grow even inside EO, there's something special about those companies. And usually they're not just well-run, they figured out a secret sauce in their niche and that went boom. And there's EOers I can think of that, that have done that. It's not always the case. You can grow large, like we have a commercial painting business and it's pretty, it's pretty sizable. But at the same time, I don't think our company's ever gonna grow more than $20 million in the New England area. This is not enough market share. So that's a different issue. So we run a pretty darn good business. I know who our competitors are. And I could easily say, oh, we're going to grow at a $30 million business. No, we've done the market analysis. There's only so much painting that exists. The market is divided into different people. The largest is this. We don't have that much more of a secret sauce. So the market cap for us is, is this. So I think that when people play in the markets, I, I try and get and ask the question, run a great business. That's awesome. We help companies do that. But ask yourself, where am I trying to go? And is this the pony that's going to get me where I want to go and why? Now, I spent 20 years of my business career not asking that question, for the record. Long okay. time. So that brings us to Cruising Company. Uh, Cruising Co. And, and, um, and even in our commercial painting business, we look at things differently. We, we, we're very realistic about what kind of business we are and what we can grow to and what we can't. Uh, and, um, and Cruising Co. is the same. You know, we're in a space that's, we're in a busy space. We have a lot of competitors and it's constantly about leaning into what is a differentiator that we can bring to the market. And then how do we also make sure we do it awesome and not just buy our own, our own bullshit, really. And those are things that, that you know, keep me up at night because I know you're going to ask that question. <laughs> so, well, tell me about Cruising Co. Because this is the SAP. This is the the group that is supportive of our chapter and and we want to understand what you all do better so help us understand what you would do with an eo client should they engage you so our whole goal we're a consulting company okay we focus on revenue profit and valuation and my background actually uh, is from is coaching so i came from a coaching background mainly i was doing volunteer coaching um uh, accelerator coaching, which is a fantastic thing for, I believe, for EO members to be involved in. Fantastic. It was really impactful for me. I did it for years. Um, and I had a, I had a great business coach. And I, so I learned a lot about the coaching itself. And then I became an EOS person for many years. And I loved that system. It was really helpful. And I learned about systems and all that kind of stuff. So ultimately, Cruising Co. is meant to actually be a consulting company 
we do have a system as well. It's called the, the growth method. We have a system, um, but our consulting company focuses on operations people. We focus on operations and people because we do believe that you should run a, a good company. But we also focus on strategy and we focus on finance. So we are a full service consulting company um, that has an operating system, but really we're accountable. We're accountable for making sure our companies grow and succeed and hit those numbers. So we're we're a uh, you know a partner in that battle. So we work with about 130 companies across the U.S. and Canada, um, all different sizes, usually from about two million dollars up to pretty substantial four or five hundred million. But our goal is to be the Deloitte or the McKinsey of small and medium sized companies because that those resources don't typically exist. And we try to help companies to not to have those resources that they may filter through forever. So we have a finance company, we work with M&A partners, we, we work with recruiting companies, we work with uh, great legal firms, and we have all those resources to help entrepreneurs along their journey. So that that's what we do. So so help me understand what it looks like. So somebody's listening in and they're like, they're struggling, they're stuck, they're not, you know, it's, it's, this, it's the same annual uh, goals year after year, and they don't seem to be getting the growth that they're looking for and they reach out to you and one of your coaches are assigned. What is that? What does that engagement look like? So it depends on how they're buying it. So we'll either do a coaching engagement with somebody or we'll put them into the growth method, which ends up being quarterly meetings and annual meetings. Uh, and if it's a, a scaling firm, we'll end up doing that and also working with their leadership teams doing the same thing as well. So it depends on the size, depends on what the client needs. But it's going to be either a coaching engagement, it's going to be a quarterly meeting, an annual meeting engagement. Uh, it, it, we also do strategic consulting as well in the business, depending on what the business needs. Um, and uh, where it also could be an entire company thing, where a company brings us in and says, get the leadership team on the same page, and then work with all the rest of the departments as well to make sure they get on the same page. So we do that as well. So we're really full service about making sure the leadership team is on the same page working with them usually in full day sessions, getting the CEO and the rest of the departments on the same page, and then making sure the thing's heading the right direction. Um, you know, and, and we have a pretty high success rate with the clients that we work with, but if a client's not on track to grow for whatever reason, we meet, we meet quarterly to review all the businesses and ask ourselves, who's off track, why, and is there anything we can offer this client to make sure they get they go the right direction? We take a very much all hands on deck approach. We have a lot of clients, but we watch them all individually to make sure they're growing. What is a typical or most common reason why a team is not on the same page? Oh, that's not the question I thought you were going to ask me. So not on the same page is, well, it's interesting. It's interesting. We have two levels of engagement, honestly, with a company. Okay. And we're going to write a book actually, uh, but it's the book is is really breaks down our service into two sections, which is we try and make sure the company gets on the same page, which is not that hard. So it's I mean, it's not easy, but it can take us a year and a half, three years to two and a half years. Usually we can do it in a couple of years. But getting everybody on the same page isn't that hard because you just got to figure out where are we going? What are we trying to do to get there? Who's not who shouldn't be here? Fix all that, all that kind of stuff. That's usually one or two years. So what blocks them in that one to two year period? Uh, just being able to have the right conversation every quarter, 
uh, as a big blocker, there's no conversation mechanism. So we give them a conversation mechanism, honestly, where we say, let's get in and have a conversation. What are the actual goals? We write everything down, document all of it. And then we make sure we're heading on the, on the path. So we give them a, a way to get that done. Once they get operationally strong, we start asking questions like, okay, now we're actually running pretty well. If at this point we're not growing or we're not growing at the pace we want to, you got to start asking bigger questions. Is How's the business model? Is this business model work? Should we be going a different direction here? Uh, what market are we actually satisfying? All the strategy type questions. We ask those at the beginning, but we you once you start getting operationally strong, that's the biggest blocker, honestly. And there's almost a, um, having done this so many times, <clears throat> you can almost feel it. Having done this so many times, I can feel it usually a quarter in advance. And I'll tell a company, FYI, we've been cleaning up for a long time now. We're about to run out of cleanup stuff. And we're going to have to ask ourselves, what is the, are we growing at the rate we want to grow? And if we're still not, what do we need to be doing? Now, usually once a team gets operationally strong, they can figure out what do they want to layer on now because they're going to execute it. So we have a lot of companies you work with that have gotten on the same page. Now it's just a matter of, are they doing the right stuff? And those questions are become a little bit harder. And that's when you got to look at your competitors. You got to look at your market. What problem are you actually trying to solve? What are the goals of the business? And, you know, that's when it gets, the whole thing's fun, but that's when it really gets fun. That's when you're really starting to take over, you know, really, really, really scaling. Very cool. Now I did participate in your webinar today. Uh, Tell us how important trust is in an organization. Well, so if you're there, you saw the first slide, which is, and this is, uh, it's the truth. And I, every time I think about it, I still get a little emotional about it because I've been through so much um, on this topic. But trust is the number one killer of all small businesses and medium-sized businesses. We don't work with those com enough companies over a thousand employees. It could be large businesses for all I know, but certainly small and medium-sized businesses. It is the number one killer. So the definition of trust, the one we use is the Lencioni one, which is the definition of trust is your, your ability to say something, uh, anything you want um, without fear of recrimination or reprisal. So uh, respectfully, of course. And when an organization can truly do that, which means that everybody set aside their agendas, everybody set aside their vulnerabilities and their ego. Ego is one of the biggest killers of business, period. But once you can set aside your ego and you can lean in on your vulnerabilities, now the team can start lifting weights. And those weights they need to lift are usually around working together and leaning in on each other's strengths and leaning in on each other's vulnerabilities and leaning in on plans that are usually never great. So... I, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about business, but most companies you work with that have grown from <clears throat> 2 million to 50 million, the road was ugly, stayed ugly, and never stopped getting ugly because the business kept changing and evolving and rotating and, and, and scaling, and then it sells to the next thing, and that business is the same too. But the way that you grow a business is to continually talk and communicate through that growth so that you're okay to scale in a way that involves a lot of trial and error. And error, the only way you can acknowledge error is to have trust. And otherwise, it, issues get pushed down. So as negative as it may sound, and you know, uh, and it's not, uh, our company very rarely, we focus on the positives, we celebrate them, but the positives don't make us any money. Like that's the outcome. We focus on what can go wrong, where are our blind spots, 
uh, are we really as good as we think? And if not, why? And what is the market telling us? And that's why trust is so important. If you, if you have anybody who's on their own agenda, you get misinformation at the leadership level and then and at the department level. And you get crushed. Yeah. Tell us about your coaches. So you have a, a team of coaches. Are they there because they've seen the success and they want to share that success? Is that primarily what the driver is for the coaches of Cruise & Co.? That's a good question. Um, they all vary, first of all. Uh, they vary. And our, our coaches tend to fall in the following categories. Been there, done that entrepreneurs, or been there doing that entrepreneurs of varying sizes. So we have some that have been there, done that at $5 million levels. We have some that have been there, done that at, at multiple hundreds of million dollar levels. But there's usually some degree of either been there, done that entrepreneurs or C-suite talent. We have C-suiteers too. Uh, and the C-suiteers are different. They tend to bring a much more specific focus on certain issues. So they'll still do the same operational stuff because they're living inside our system but they tend to bring slants. Like somebody might be a CRO or a chief people officer. We have a guy who's heavy, was heavy into product, <clears throat> exceptionally good, but his really, his, his, his really secret sauce is about product. So that's them. Now, why do they do what they do? They do what they do because, uh, well, if they don't do it for this reason, we sniff them out. They do it because they want to help entrepreneurs. So we are truly a help first business. Um, and we don't tolerate much behavior to the contrary in any way. I was a volunteer for a very long time inside of the entrepreneurs organization. And our spirit is always more towards volunteering, honestly. Now, our invoices are definitely not in the spirit of volunteering. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I understand they're, that. They're in the spirit of capitalism. Yes. But, you know, we are entrepreneurs. But our the spirit of it, though, is very much to help our clients. And... We have certainly a couple of consultants that I think are slightly on the side of slightly more mercenary than that. They're, they're in it to make money, but it's only actually slightly. Our people are calling to do this. They're called to, to have a schedule of flexibility. You certainly want to make a decent amount of money. They're certainly well paid, but I think they do it mainly to help. And our goal is to make sure they're successful. It's one of our biggest company mantras. Remember what matters most Number one, the company that the customers love us. Two, the employees love working here. And number three, that we make money while we're doing it. So we focus on those three things. But they mainly are here to help where they don't make it long. They know the assumption is zero unless you have any value. And that's our company culture. I love it. So obviously you're utilizing your own strategies within Cruise and Company. So what is your North Star? What is your BHAG for Cruise and Company? So our BHAG is, is honestly, so we use OKRs in our company and we believe that the objective should always be more broad and give you some grounding and give you some room to dream and also just give you some, just a bigger way to set targets. And then we use key results. Um, our objective is very clear and that's to become the McKinsey for medium and small business. I said Deloitte earlier because we've been back and forth on that, but it's really we want to become the McKinsey of small and medium business, which we think is a heavily neglected space. And I know that because I, I am a small and medium-sized person. I'm heavily neglected and I've been raked over the coals financially by vendors and all this other crap. And we wanted to start a company that could give small and medium-sized businesses a better shot at achieving their goals. 
So that's kind of, believe it or not, is our guiding light. And you might think, well, can you get more specific? I mean, yeah, the specifics is monetary. Our specifics are to get to, I think, like 400 clients in the next five years and then 1,000 clients by 2030 or something. But the point is it's a national play, which has got its pluses and it's got its minuses. It's, um, it's like all other North Stars. You said it, and it, it what you said is that North Star is very guiding in terms of what you end up doing in your business. And our business is very much a growth-oriented business. If it was a profit-oriented business, I would actually probably cut 35% of the things we invest in. Uh, so our goal is to run a national uh, organization or international, if you include Canada, uh, North American business, I should say, uh, around helping small and medium-sized businesses to become known for that. But more importantly than the known for that is that we want to help as many people as we possibly can to be successful. That's our North Star. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty nice goal to have. Help as many people as possible, right? Because you've it's seen like, it. You've seen the struggles of a small business. I see it and live it. Right. You know, I, I, uh, I, I, um, I see it and live it. You know, and it's funny. I was talking to my coach. Um, I, I, uh, I, I don't work with Moses anymore, but I worked with Moses CEO coaching forever. I was his third client, and a lot of stuff I say actually I learned from Mark. And we're both from the student painting industry, which is actually kind of funny. But, um, you know, Mark and I are very, very, very good friends. And uh, I saw him recently at Nerve. And, um, you know, we're like brothers. And he came over and he, and he chuckles. And he says to me, he starts laughing. I said, how's it going, Mark? I haven't seen you for a while. And he's like, Eric, we, you know, turns out this whole moving people around. It's easier to coach this moving people around different seats thing than it is to actually do it yourself. <laughs> Because he's been through a lot of transitions in his business. And that's my story. So in my world, I still have some clients of my own. I'll leave coaching them and come back and deal with the same stuff. And and we're in a pivotal point too. We're only at a coach, the consulting business is only a five million dollar firm. That's so it's and it's it's not that old, but it's it's only five million. And if you look at all of our literature, we're heading towards a danger zone in our business, which is five million to about eight million. And um, that's where we are. And people are like, well, how's that? I'm like, well, I told you how it is. It's that. It sucks. Like, it's hard. It's scale and expense and investment and prayers. And and you hope it works at a bigger size. And you, you see where it doesn't. Um, so we can't. I may be a consultant, but I can't. I can't smooth out the, the valleys. Uh, I deal with them. And my goal is that, you know, our team is observant. So we look at these valleys and we say, what do we know? based on what we teach and what are we also learning along this journey that we can share as well. But what's interesting, Mark, is what the consultants don't tell you is we have 130 clients. Moses has got like 500 clients. Wow. The, the reason that if you even believe this, the reason we get smarter is because we have so many freaking clients. Yeah. So I'm as smart as 130 people are. He's as smart as 500 people are. So we basically go... You got to have an observing ego to be a good consultant. So when I go work with somebody like you or anybody else in EO, I'm like, I'll teach you what I got and then I'm going to watch you. And our knowledge is the combination of 130 entrepreneurs filtering it up, us processing it and saying, well, that's a nice mousetrap there. Let's try that over here. Yeah. So we're basically just trying to spin up our knowledge and learn from our peers. I love that. I love that. EO is for the record. EO is that too. The only difference yes. is 
even in forum, we get a sort of candy coated version of each other. I don't. Like I work with a company, I get the ugliest version of what they are because that's what they're paying for. They say, here is the poop pile and here's where I want to go. And then it's like, okay, well, let's see what we can put together here. And you learn from them. Oh, big time. That's I, cool. I can tell you the, the uh, 20 top lessons I have, maybe 10 of mine are original, or maybe even a 25% of mine are original from what I've learned in my own business. 25% of them or 30% of them are probably from, from my coach and mentors. And the other half are <clears throat> all of you. That's the rest of it. The rest of it came from tech company in California, education company in South Carolina, tech, uh, tech company in, in California and Canada. That's where the knowledge came from. We just bring it back. And it's funny because I have clients are like, Eric, I don't think that's true. And I'm just like, you're wrong. I believe, I believe it. I believe it. You, you, we can learn from each other. You know, student teaches the teacher every once in a while. And more often than you might think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm open to that right now with my children. I've been having some conversations with my children and I'm like, you know, you're teaching me a lesson right now and I'm wide open to that lesson. <laughs> so what keeps you up at night, Mr. Cruz? Uh, a couple things. Um, you know, I, I, I try to be open and honest. So one is that I'm, I'm probably, you know, probably like you, or I don't want to make any assumptions, but I'm 53 years old and uh, I love life. Um, I love what I do. I love my family. I love my clients. Um, I love my team. I always wish I could do more. Mm. And I have a sense we live in 10 year chunks also in our company, like very literally. So I always, uh, you know, you get older, you get, you get wiser. And I wish I had more time. I wish I had known this stuff 15 years ago. Right. But who doesn't? So what keeps me up at night is, am I, first thing keeps me up is, uh, am I acting the right way I should be for having a, a kid getting ready to go to college in a year and a half? Am I spending enough time with this kid who's going to be gone? Another kid is two and a half years from going out. And, um, and then, so one, am I, so interestingly enough, what keeps me up the most is, am I suffering the thing I'm really passionate about is my family suffering from that. And so I'm very conscious of that. So that's one thing that keeps me up at night. Another thing is, um, is my business going to be able to scale to where I want it to? Uh, and I'm not worried about running it the right way. And I'm not, like, I don't worry about that stuff. I do it for a living. I worry about, is the business worth it? That's the stuff that worries me. When I was younger, it used to be, how am I going to fix this? Now it's like, I know I'm going to fix all that because I've done it a thousand times. I know I can fix businesses and, and run good business. That's not my question. My question is, is how much is the market going to actually like it? And are they going to like it as much as I want them to like it? And, you know, that's a, uh, that's hard. So, it, and the answer is, you know, I don't know. And, I try not to think about that too much because you can get crazy thinking about that. But I worry about that. I worry about my team. I worry, I worry that my leadership team, who's very has a lot of faith in me and my employees, I worry that I have the offering that they that the offerings as good as what they think it is. I worry about that, and because they've given so they give their time and their career and the end their end game to me. In some cases, they're mid fifties also. This is their where they chose to rest, and um, those are things that that worry me at night. What do you read in these days? I think I told you I, I just finished Die with Zero. 
Oh, I've heard wonderful things about that book. It's a wonderful book, uh, especially, honestly, I think ideal age to read is probably in your 30s and 40s. Uh, reading it in mid-50s is still extremely helpful in terms of framing your life and what the phases of your life mean and how you should be viewing money in that, but not just money. How do you view your health in that? How do you view your time allocation? And then how do you prepare to live the best version of yourself in these specific time frames of life, like your 50s, which are going to look different than your 60s, which are going to look different than your 70s and your 80s? And then how do you finance all that uh, and not overfinance it, which is kind of his point? Um, and then how much are you sacrificing right now of your life to finance something that maybe you don't need all that for? So I Was There has been a phenomenal, phenomenally good book. Uh, I'm also reading, I read a lot. So I'm reading Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, which is a great book that takes strategy and distills it into its uh, most basic uh, uh, things, which is great. And then I'm also reading Bernie Taupin's autobiography. Bernie Taupin is Elton John's songwriter. Oh, so cool. John's book last year. Now I'm reading a songwriter's autobiography, which is, I read a lot of biographies. So it's fascinating. So you have time for pleasure reading or do you see the biographies as a recipe for success? when you? Uh, I read them for pleasure, but I am very cognizant of the recipe for success and what does somebody else's life look like? Mm. And, um, you know, very, very, so I read a lot of biographies for that reason. I just uh, listened to Elon Musk's most recent biography. That's a- you like it? Oh yeah. I'm a huge fan. If you know me well, you know that I am a, I am one of the followers of Mr. Musk. He, in my opinion, is an example of what I was talking about earlier, which is if you write down 10 CEOs or companies that you absolutely love, 90% of the time, it's because you like the thing they put out. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that EOers, me included, I'm not, this is I, us, tend to focus on running a good business. I don't think Elon's worried about running a good business. I think he's worried about changing the world through right. electricity and sustainability and all the things he cares about. I don't think Starbucks is sitting there wondering, I hope we run an amazing company. I think they're one to create a, 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 an extra space that they call it the third space. I think what do they call it for humans. So my point is, I think that the degree that people love their companies is the degree that they got their North Star right and then operationalized behind it. And I think that too much of us try to operationalize before we say to ourselves, are we really hitting the ball in the right park to where we want to really go in the first place? And Elon's a perfect example of a guy who I don't think he even cares about his company. He just knows what he wants to accomplish in life. And then his company follows behind him. Right. And he'll get He's someone to run with it, which is, which is fascinating. What right. excites you about the future? For our own future, I'll say that we're writing a book, which is quite a project, cool. quite and we're trying to get published, which is interesting also, interesting journey. Listen uh, up, EOers, if you can help Mr. Cruz here, help him yeah, get, so published. get published. We're trying to get published to a publisher, Yeah, which is a different journey. What's uh, the book about? Is it the recipe that of the growth the methodology? We, yes, the growth methodology. Um, and it's also forcing us right now, a book is a great forcing function when you write one to, to get mm. your thoughts clear. And we're very clear on people and operations. We're, we've just finished the finance portion of the book, which took a tremendous amount of time. Uh, and now we're dialing in the strategy portion. So it's, it's awesome for us to finish this book because we need this curriculum uh, very, very dialed in for our clients. Um, but it's also, you know, it's, 
we're trying to write a good book, but the book to us is like the afterthought. It's it's more like, let's make sure we get all of our thoughts cleanly in one place, and then we'll see if it's worth publishing. But we care more about the content. In terms of the world itself, certainly mm-hmm. AI is a fun topic. It's it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun for our business and how we use it. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited for entrepreneurship in general. Uh, I don't think entrepreneurs are going to go away anytime soon. I'm excited for interest rates to stabilize because it's been an effect. You know, it's, I get questions, I get people ask me a lot how small business is doing. And my answer is that small business right now as a whole, even when small businesses are doing well right now, which is a lot of them, it's very much a dog fight right now. Mm-hmm. Most small businesses are in a dog fight of some kind. And um, I'll be looking forward to this having be a little smoother sailing when the economy settles down a little bit. And, you know, that's, that's what I look forward to the most. I look forward to the elections being over. Also. Yeah, that's, I was thinking about that when you were talking about interest rates settling down. It's uh, 2024 is going to be a very interesting year. 2024 is going to be like 2020 2.0. I would not expect different from that. So we are, you know, I tend to, you know, it's personal and then probably my business also because they kind of follow me. We tend to take a conservative approach on business. We try and swing for the fences and cover our butts. That's generally our approach. And we still feel that we're in a conservative cover your butt time and that we're where we can swing for the fences and not completely fall on our face. We should be doing that. But if you're asking me if I think that this is going to be a smooth sailing year, I do not. The elections are going to create unrest. The unrest is in the unknown. We won't go into politics, but, you know, who's going to win? I don't even know what that brings, but it will be nice to have it over because the the knowing of it will create some stability in the market. But if you take the elections aside, uh, what should be a good year is 2025. Mm. So 2024, we're looking at as a gradual growing year. 2023, we, we had a feeling was a flat year and ended up being a little bit, well, certainly better than flat for a lot of our clients. But it ends up being a relatively flat year. This should be a growing year, and twenty five should be a great year. Should yeah, be. the the um, elections should be interesting. You mentioned AI. I, I've been telling people, you know, you 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 can't believe what you hear or read. Now you're not going to be able to believe what you see with your own eyes with the with the help of AI. There's a there's a great sign, and I don't know if you if you've known it, in Terminal C in Logan Airport, and I don't want to misquote it, but it's something about AI, and it's something like. It's something to the effect of question what you can't see uh, and what goes, question anything you can't see, what goes into it about AI. And it's, it's, it's a night, it's not trying to bash AI. It's just saying, be cognizant that someone's spitting something out to you. It's like Google. Like, I don't think we're not all buying the stuff that's sponsored on Google anymore. Well, that's kind of what AI is doing to us to some degree. It's programming the knowledge that we're getting uh, and, you know, there's a, uh, but there's a use to that because it's basically like a super smart Google that's in, it's functioning in real time. Right. There's a use for that, but I've been around long enough to know that we take a very guarded and optimistic approach with AI. And we have consultants that are like all in. They're like, Eric, we're just going to ask AI how to solve this problem. Okay. Well, when you get that information, let's use it as a data point. But at the very least, we're going to take 20% and curve off the edges to make sure we actually know what that this is actually correct, but it's useful for us. Yeah. I, well, what, what is the, the phrase, uh, Luis said, uh, AI is not going to take your job. Someone who's effectively using AI will take your job. I think that he's hundred percent right. Well, Luis is a smart guy for a yeah. lot of reasons and, um, he's hundred percent right. So it, uh, 
So that's our approach. So our so I get this question, like, how do you use it? We're taking a guarded approach to how can we use it? I believe that AI can do 70% of what we do as a business, in my opinion. So the question is, is can that 70% that we do, can we make that 70% of us smarter, period, mm -hmm. by using uh, AI? And then what is our 30% that's going to make that 70% even more valuable? That, that's our question. But, you know, so we are, we are going at it very much eyes wide open. And uh, we think it's, it's going to be a thing. It's just we want to make sure we don't become an early adopter too much and lean in on something because we, people trust us for what they get as an output. So we have to be careful about the inputs that we put out. Makes sense. Well, you're a busy guy, family guy, business, multiple businesses, helping a bunch of people. What do you do in your free time? What do you do for fun? What are you doing? So I still run, even though I just hurt myself in a big skiing accident a couple of years ago, I still do run a lot. Um, and uh, I ski. My kids are, uh, my daughter's a ski racer. Um, and we so we go up to the, week, the Hampshire on every weekend, and which is a lot of fun. Um, and you know, I big sailor also. So I have, uh, I have my share of, uh, I have more issues with not sleeping than I do with not, not having fun. So I, uh, um, but those are the things that I, that's where you're going to find me in the summertime. You're going to find me on the water and in the wintertime, you're going to find me up North. And honestly, I love to, I love what I do for a living. So if you find me either one of those places, my laptop's probably nearby and my earpiece is probably in my ear. Well, Eric, we appreciate you sharing your knowledge and wisdom. More importantly, we truly appreciate your sponsorship as an SAP and all of the information that you give to us so, so freely and voluntarily with the workshops and the lunches. Folks, if you see this guy at one of the events or you see one of his coaches, please thank them because the, the knowledge base that they're simply giving away to us is... Uh, is really, really helpful. I've learned a lot from Cruz and company, and I'm sure I'm sure you all can as well. Folks, if you think of somebody who could use this, please share it with them. Eric, my man, I appreciate you. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the flesh and not uh, through the remote Zoom effects here. It's a pleasure. Thanks for, I love being part of this organization. So it's great. Sponsor is a, is a nice icing on the cake, but EO has been part of, EO is my family. This is my family. So I'm grateful. I love it. I love it. Thank you again. And folks, thank you for listening. As I mentioned, if you learned something or you thought of somebody, please share this with them. Share it with everyone. Why not? Eric, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Oh, I think Eric at cruisingco.com is an easy way. Somebody will pick up that email pretty quickly. So Eric at cruisingco.com is a good way to reach us. And we're here to help any companies and, and just run ideas by us and even just for shared resources and learning. We're here. I love it. Eric at cruisingco. Simply remove all of the friction. Make it as easy as possible. Eric That's right. at cruisingco. All right, buddy. Thank you very much, folks. Thank you. We will see you next time. This has been another exciting episode of Leadership in Action. Your Boston Chapter of EO's podcast. Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston Chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer -peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, 
EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.